as I ran out of time and we're done, so now we don't even get to spend any time in Ruth. Ruth chapter 3. I love this book. I don't know about you guys. Ruth chapter 3. Blown away by it. God's showing me more insights in it as I go through it. And in the uh, retirement home on Tuesday nights, 6.30, if you want to come out and see us, we're over there meeting. There's, there's several people coming out, and they are dying for a relationship. They're dying for somebody to love them and show them the hope of Christ and that love to be real. People everywhere, they're walking around pretending and acting like everything's fine and they've got it all under control. And, and you know what? They're just dying. For somebody to love them without hypocrisy. The book of Ruth, a love story once again. A love story, if you've been with us. What an amazing um, story where Ruth, of course, who comes back from Moab, which is modern day Jordan, which was an enemy of uh, God's people Israel in the day, Elimelech took his family, his wife Naomi, and two sons who were uh, named uh, Malon and Chilion, and they, that meant weak and puny. Elimelech meant my God is king. I just want to remind you this. It's very important and pertinent to this story to remember these texts. They were from Bethlehem, which means house of bread, of Judah, which means praise, and there was a famine in the land. And in those days, it was the days of judges. So we know what the famine was for. It wasn't just for physical food, but there was a famine for the word of God and the authority of God and, the, and, the, and following God. People were not listening to God. And you know, when you don't listen to God, it often brings the famine. It often brings a lack of food because, because God doesn't bless your crops. God doesn't take care of your pocketbook it's like there's a hole in the bottom of the bag and he he allows those things to happen so you'll turn back to him and cry out to him and Elimelech takes his family down from God from the house of bread the place that we know that the bread of life was born and I believe personally it's my opinion it's not in the text that the entire time God is pleading with Elimelech who says his name means my God is king to come back to the house of bread and to praise. When we go off to the enemy's camp, I know that my Lord loves me and he pleads with me to come back to the house of bread and to praise, to come and fellowship with him. And I just believe that that's what he was doing with Elimelech and Elimelech hardened his heart and would not come back. And then it rubbed off on his kids, Malon and Chilion. And they stayed down there and they took brides from the world. They took unclean brides of Moab. And I believe God was pleading with them as the man of the house. Probably Malon was the head of the house. His name is first Malon, then Chilion. And Malon probably married Orpah because her name is first. And then Ruth and he pleads with them one at a time. We're not given the order, but I would assume that the oldest would become the head of the house and God's pleading with him, take your mother, go back to your inheritance, go back to your first love, return to the land of your nativity. And he didn't, so he died. And his brother the same. I believe that 
That's the way it is in our America, in our culturanity, that men are dying everywhere. Now, listen, I, I, I might go off text a little bit here, but I might not. Do you remember the inception of the church and, and the church's birth? And then we have people coming and they're, they're having all things in common and great fear and great grace is upon the church. And God's adding and multiplying the numbers. And here comes a couple people, Ananias and Sapphira. Who were pretending their love was not with hypocrisy. It was with hypocrisy. It wasn't without dissimulation. And they came in and they acted like they sold all their stuff and they put it at the feet of the disciples. They came in one at a time. They didn't come in together. Nobody. They're in. They're responsible for their own pretending. They didn't come in together, and it wasn't the husband's fault and it wasn't the wife's fault. They both did it, one by one, and they had a chance to tell the truth to the Holy Spirit. You know what happened? They fell down dead. Now, we don't see that in the church today. I mean, because nobody would ever come back to the church. What are they doing carrying him out? Oh, he went and lied to the Holy Spirit. But you know what? We see the leaders of the church, the men, falling down dead spiritually. Falling down dead spiritually everywhere, all over the place. We're called to be the leaders. And you can't lie to the Holy Spirit. You can pretend to men, but you can't lie to the Holy Spirit. And so God chastises. But you know what? Naomi reads it wrong. She has a relationship with God. She's following her leader. She's doing what a woman would do in those days because without her leader, she would be destitute and she would die of starvation, a true famine. But you know what? As soon as they all die, she says, I'm going back to Bethlehem. She was listening to God. She was going back to the house of bread and to praise. And on the way, she was still concerned about people. She told them, no, go back and find rest. It's in our text. We'll talk about it tonight. I missed it in the first time. Chapter 1, verse 9. It says, go back and find rest. The word means matrimony. She was telling them to go back and marry again because there was no children in her womb for them to marry later. It's an amazing word. It's in our text today. And how we got to our memory verse of Romans 12, 9 was in, I was reading and I was like, oh, oh, that reminds me of Ruth. Orpah went on and went and married the world. But Ruth clung to Naomi. Her pleasant witness. She clung to her. Even in the loss of her three men in her life. Even with her knowing she was going back to Bethlehem and she wasn't going to have any earthly goods. She was going back to her homeland. And Ruth, instead of going, wept and clung to her and made the commitment to die with her and that her God would be her God. And where she went, she would go. And you've read it with us in chapter 1. And so, while Naomi thought things were bad, she didn't know that God was bringing her home to redemption, bringing her back to the house of bread to have the nearest kinsman redeemer redeem the family and restore all the land and restore everything back for her namesake. Oh, it's such a picture of Christ. 
when we think things are bad and we're like, it's painful, it hurts, I don't have any, it's bad, they're persecuting me, I can't take it. It's God. And we're kicking against the goads. It's God. And, and He's just chastising us, wanting us to turn to Him and trust in Him and believe Him. Oh, it might look like the world. It might seem like a terrible boss. It might, you might think it's from being on your feet too long. My feet hurt. But it's God. And He wants to know he wants to know who you are. Do you know who you are? Do you know what we have been given? Do you understand that Christ died to give us life? Do we understand that he will provide for all of our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God's riches at Christ's expense is all that you will ever need for life and godliness. It's the grace of God. It's the throne that keeps on giving. It's a throne of grace where you can obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm sorry, I'm way ahead of my text. I can't finish this chapter tonight. Boy, I'd like to. I was playing Battleship Galactica on my you Bible. You can it's only 18 verses. Yeah, but I'm not going to get through one if I don't get started. Let's look at it. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Let me ask you something. Are you, what are you concerned with? Are you concerned with others? Listen, Naomi is without security. Naomi is without anything. She's a widow who's lost, who's lost her husband and both her sons, and she's worried about her daughter-in-law. And she says to her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for you, is the King James. Rest, that it may be well with you. Listen to me. It's never going to be well with your soul unless you have rest with God. And rest here is talking about settling down with a permanent home. It comes from the same word that was used in 1.9, which meant matrimony. And this is what she's looking for. She's not looking to be married herself because she already has rest with God. She's a widow, and God is a husband to the widow. He's a father to the orphan. He's taking care of her. But how's he doing it? Because she's looking out for the interest of others. She's there for others. She's laying her life down. Her love is without hypocrisy. She's concerned with others. What are you seeking? Are you seeking a homeland not made with hands? Are you seeking a husbandman? Listen, guys. Guys, we are the bride of Christ. We are betrothed to Christ. We're the church now working together. When we get to the banqueting table, we'll consummate the wedding. Oh, what a day it'll be. Oh, what a day it will be. What are you seeking? 
What are you looking for? Are you seeking to take care of others? Are you seeking to lay your life down for others and to serve others as Christ did? Are you abhorring that which is evil and cleaving to that which is good? Being married to God, cleaving, glued to God, keeping company with God and his people. It is a shame. It is a flat out shame that that word has been translated security. The word means to settle, a settled spot, a home. It comes from the word that means repose peacefully, specifically matrimony. And who is Ruth marrying? Boaz, who's the kinsman redeemer. Who is our kinsman redeemer? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we're going to get into that in a minute and look at it in in a complete uh, understanding of it that we can understand it better. Are you looking to be uh, married to God so they can be well with your soul? Are you looking for a place that's a home or are you just looking for a handout? It's very important that we understand that. If all they were looking for was a handout, all of the grain that they get from the field gleaning and doing the work would have been enough. This stuff in the world is going to burn. It's not enough for your soul to be well. You need a permanent home and you do not want to be a pit dweller and make this place down here your permanent home. You need to be married to the kinsman redeemer. You need to be in love with him. You need to find rest for your soul. Now, Boaz, remember Boaz means, Boaz is the nearest of kin. He's not really the nearest of kin. There's one closer who's not going to be willing to redeem. But Boaz means in him is strength. Remember, I can do all things through Christ who is my strength or strengthens me. Notice again this. Don't, we got to be careful with these scriptures because we yank them out of scripture. I don't know if you know that that scripture is couched in a place where Paul's in prison. It's couched in a place where Paul's saying that he's had everything and he's also been without anything. You know, where he's shipwrecked and floating in the sea. And he has learned to be able to be content and trust God, whether he had all of the stuff or none of the stuff. That's when he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When you are content, no matter what's going on in this world, because you're married to God, you have the love of God, and you're resting in God's house and doing God's work in his field for his glory, then it doesn't matter whether you have one Benjamin or 51 Benjamins, or should we say George Washington's? I don't know, but I'm just telling you, it's not about thinking that you can get up and do anything you want to do because Christ is going to give you strength. Although we've twisted it into that. Boaz, in him is strength. Listen, listen what's going on here. Now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Notice a few things here. 
she has been in the field with other women, and they already belong to Boaz. And this is the witness that you have. See, when people come into the church or around you in the field, they need to know that you belong to Boaz, to the kinsman, the redeemer, to Jesus. And that's how it becomes known to them. They see your love and they want to know who you know, who you belong to. And now she says, isn't he not our relative? But notice they know where he's at. Do you know where he's at? They know where he's at. Are you seeking to find out where God's at? Are you seeking to find out where he's working at? Look, they know where he's at. They're keeping track of him. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? How do they know where he's at? Because they understand the threshing floor. See, you would, in the daytime, in the daytime, you'd go out and cut down the grain. And at nighttime, you would take it up the hill to the threshing floor. And at night, you'd have the, it was really a worship service. It was a religious celebration where they would be crushing the grain either by hand or with an auction grinding the grain down. And they had this celebration where they're giving thanks to God. They're singing to God. They're eating and drinking and they're having a religious ceremony thanking God for all the grain that they had harvested that day. Oh, you might think, well, they've already worked all day and they have to work at night. Yes, there's much work to be done. And the day is coming when we can't work anymore. The fields are white for harvest and the laborers are few. And, and we can sleep and slumber later. But what would happen is they would go up there and while they were doing this, they would take turns. And they might sleep a little bit while somebody else was, was, was threshing the grain. But what are they doing? They're crushing the grain, right? So that they can get to the fruit, right? That's what chastisement is. That's what God does with us when we humble ourselves. Sometimes he has to crush us to get to the fruit of the love that's supposed to be without hypocrisy. See, the heads are full of grain. They're full of fruit. And you crush the chaff off of them. Is it chaff? Chaff. 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 I knew I was going to say it wrong because I have a 50-50 chance to get it right or wrong. And I'm like, okay, which one are you going to pick this time, you hillbilly? And, and I get it wrong every time. It's chaff. That's right, because I have chapped lips. And I say them both the same way. I know. I'm from Kentucky. Listen. Chaff, and then what they would do, they're getting to the fruit, and what do you have to do? You have to throw it up in the air. You have to throw it up in the air, and at night there'd be a cool breeze, and the air would blow, and they would they would be doing this the whole time. As long as there was a, a breeze, they would stay crushing it and throwing it in the air, and and the wind would blow away the chaff. So the wind is the Holy Spirit. See, the wind is bringing the fruit out of you. The wind is making you like Jesus, preparing you as a bride for the kinsman redeemer and blowing away the flesh, the, 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 the chaff. And it's the threshing floor that we will one day be and God will send his angels to reap everything. Listen, and, and what will we look like 
when we go across that conveyor belt and come to the Bema Seat Judgment, will all of our works burn up because they're, they're done for our own reasoning, because they're pretense, because they're our own works? Or will it be the works of God that's happened in our life? Will it be because of His Spirit? Because we can get in and smell like smoke because we didn't let the Holy Spirit blow away the chaff. So the chaff catches on fire and there's no real fruit. Now you know the difference between uh, wheat and tares? Fruit. Listen, wheat and tares look just like this. They both look the same. And they grow in the field together. That's why you can't tear out uh, um, the tares. But you can see them. Watch. Because as they grow and they mature, the head that has fruit in it, the wheat begins to bend. But the tear stays just like this. It looks just like it. But it's the one who humbles himself is growing in love. It's the one who's got fruit in there. That's growing. And we have to understand that this stuff is this stuff is not just, let's just pick out some words, God. Let's throw some stuff in there. And, you know, they're never going to figure it out anyway. So it doesn't have to line up. Every one of these analogies, everything in the Bible tells us of the love of God. Everything tells us about our life with God. Everything tells us the story of the redemption of God. Because it's all about God. It's not about us. And we think it's about us. And that's the lie from the devil. His pride is why he wanted people to worship him. Because it was about him. It's about God. And we want to look in the pages of scripture and find God. We want to be looking for how we can be God-like. We can be more of the love. And he says, all you have to do is trust me. I'll blow away the chaff. I'll create the fruit. I'll complete the work I started in you. Just come to me. Just find me. Know where I'm at. Know what I'm doing. Because in him is strength. And notice the fellowship. Be with the women. Be with the women. We're all women here in the church because we're the bride of Christ. We're all women. Hang out in the fellowship. Mm, good stuff. So now let's look at relative, because i got to look at this. Kinsman Redeemer, because I said it a few times. Now, some other people have come up with some other ones. There's basically three that I like to talk about called their Kinsman Redeemer. I know there's, oh, the Avenger of the Blood, they're called. It's, uh, it's a near of kin, but it's not always. The Avenger of the Blood doesn't have to be the nearest kin. It's not the, So somebody has tried to tie that into Kinsman Redeemer. It may or may not. Some people try to tie in a few more of them. The basic ones are this. Um, Leviticus 23, you can turn there. Let's just read them. We'll read them, and I won't have to explain them to you, but I'll read them to you. And it's Leviticus 23, excuse me, Leviticus 25, beginning in verse 23. And the first one is really redeeming lands and property. And then we'll look at what goes on. It's 23, um, Leviticus 25, verse 23. 
I guess I did that wrong, didn't I? I think I did. Uh, 23, or 25, 23, that's what I did wrong. The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. Do you guys know that? God, everything belongs to God. It's his planet. He gave it to Israel as an inheritance. And then he, in Numbers, if you remember, when we were in Numbers, he allotted it out in different places and said, here, go in and take the land. And it's all God still, and we're just stewards of it. For you are strangers and sojourners with me, because we're with him. And, and in all the land of your possession, you shall grant redemption of the land. If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. I'll explain it to you. And so there's also a year of jubilee, and the land would be valued by how close you were to the year of jubilee. And the 50th year is jubilee, 49th year. The 50th year is when you'd buy it back, uh, 7 times 7. And so what would happen is, is that the value of the land was because of how close you were to when you, your jubilee was. Because that's when everybody would be set free. All the land would go back to its rightful inheritor. Because God gave it to them. So no matter how you dealt with it, you would end up getting it back in the year of jubilee. And you would learn your lesson. Your, it would go back to your family. Nobody would lose their inheritance, okay? You would always get your land back in the year of jubilee. Are you with me there? And so listen. Christ, who is our kinsman redeemer, when he purchased our sin with his blood, he also bought back the title deed to the planet that was given away by the first Adam to the devil. He bought it back. He redeemed it all. The planet groans for redemption. It's all been redeemed, and it's waiting for the time when it is finished. The redemption will be finished. So the first kinsman redeemer is about land, because we should not lose our inheritance. It's part of our inheritance. Christ gives you citizenship in heaven. It's, it, it's a house a home in the heavenlies. It comes with your redemption. It's your inheritance. This is what our Redeemer has done. If you turn the page, you guys can read this later. I just want you to see them. Then there's one in verse 47, but it's the law according to the slaves. Like if you sold yourself as a slave or you went into debtor's prison. Look what it says in 47. Now, if a sojourner or a stranger close to you becomes rich and one of your brethren who dwells by him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner close to you or to a member of the stranger's family, after he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brothers may redeem him or his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him or anyone who is near of kin to him in his family may redeem him. Or if he is able, he may redeem himself. Listen, if you're able, you can keep the whole of the law and redeem yourself. But since we're not able to keep the law, Christ came and kept the law. And he becomes our kinsman redeemer. And he redeems us back out of the bondage of the slavery of sin that the first Adam sold us into. 
and we're redeemed by a kinsman redeemer. Why did Jesus become flesh? God could have just reached down and pulled us out. He had to follow the law of kinsman redeemer. God keeps his own laws. He doesn't arbitrarily break them like man does. He's not above the law. He kept the law. In fact, Jesus did not even become a priest until he was 30 years old because you couldn't according to law. So at 30, he waited. He obeyed. He was a good witness. He was underneath his family's authority. And he obeyed. And then he became an itinerant preacher for three and a half years. And then he laid his life down. But he did everything. He did not ever, ever, ever sin. You break the law of God, you sin. Jesus was sinless. Sinless. Don't listen to this nonsense you see on TV. Don't listen to this nonsense you hear some of these pastors coming out with. One came out this week. I think the headlines is, is that Jesus was a bigot, but he got better. He learned to love. It's from the pit of hell. <clears throat> Jesus was God. God made the rules. You don't change God's rules. So he redeems us. That's another one. So there's, there's land. He redeemed the planet. It's groaning to further, to finish the redemption. There's slaves. We were slaves to sin. He redeemed us. If you remember the law of the year of Jubilee, what happened? If you were done with, you was being set free, but you liked the house that you was in, what did they do in the year of Jubilee? You would go to the doorpost of the house and he would take an awl out. Your, your master would take an awl out and he'd pierce your ear to the doorpost. There's a song we used to sing, Pierce My Ear, O God. Because I don't know if you know it, but all the earrings that were in the ears in the Bible represented the God that they served. The gold represented the God that they served. It was always how they were led about. They would put a nose in. When they would lead them away captive, they'd put an ear, earring, nose ring in them. And they'd lead them away tied together by the nose. And we think it's costume jewelry and it's okay, but it really points out that we're in slavery and we don't know about the blood of Jesus. And we do it in the church. I'm sorry, it's the truth. And someone will say, well, I don't believe that, and I'm not in bondage, and I believe in the blood. Then quit living like it and acting like it and wearing jewelry like it. Quit looking like the world. Quit looking like you're in bondage if your love is supposed to be pure, if your love is supposed to be real. We've been called to a higher standard because of the blood of Jesus. The third one is in Deuteronomy chapter 25. You want to remember these. You, you, you know that it's Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25. You can remember them like that. You want to remember the gifts? They're basically the gifts of the Spirit in the New Testament are basically in uh, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. They're almost all listed like that. I like that. Even man, when he puts these numbers on things, can sometimes get things a little closer. Well, this one is really, Deuteronomy is really uh, what's called in the law, leveret marriage. Leveret marriage. Um, if I pronounce it right, I'm not sure. But it's Deuteronomy 25.5. 
And, and, and you actually seen it uh, in Genesis 38 when Judah married Tamar. It was, a, it was an ugly sight because then Tamar ends up playing the harlot because uh, Judah's dad would not... No, it was Judah, wasn't it? It was Judah and his, uh, with his son. And Judah uh, would not give the other son because two of the sons had already been killed. So he's afraid to give his other son when he came of age. But what it, what it was always about is this. Listen, leveret marriage was to protect women like Naomi. Because I, I shared about, about uh, the inheritance always going to the male child. The, the, the firstborn would get a double inheritance, and then the other male children would get a single inheritance. But it always was passed on to the man. He's the leader. He's the one supposed to work it by the sweat of his brow. And the woman wouldn't have it, so she needed the man to defend her and protect her and take care of her. And if there was no man, God didn't want the land to go, and for that woman to go marry a foreigner and, and, and any of the land to go to a foreigner. So it would always be to protect her, to take care of her. God has always protected women, just like he protects his bride. Just like it tells us in the New Testament, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water through the word. It's always been that God is protecting and he's protecting Naomi here. And Naomi didn't understand it. She's going back to Bethlehem thinking she's destitute. But there's a kinsman redeemer who's going to redeem her and take care of her. And she, she will have all of her land. She'll have all everything's given back to her because of God's law. Because of a kinsman redeemer. Look at this. If, if, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the widow of the dead man shall be married to a stranger outside the family excuse me shall not be married to a stranger outside the family talking about not being unequally yoked her husband's brother shall go into her that's having sex take her as his wife and perform the duty of husband's brother to her And it shall be that the firstborn son which she bears will succeed to the name of his dead brother. In other words, you have children. First one's a woman. Then you've got to have another child. But when you have a firstborn son, that son would take the place of his dad and would gain the inheritance to protect that wife. So she would always be taken care of. God's always taking care of the woman. God's always taking care of his people. God never left his people out begging for bread. He always provided a way for them to be taken care of. It's our systems, it's man's systems that takes over and becomes God to people and leaves them out there with nothing. They always got everything back with God. He always redeemed them according to his law. And it shall be that the firstborn son, which verse 6, she bears, will succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. That his name may not be blotted out of those governed by God. Do you see that? Hold your finger here in Deuteronomy. We'll come back. Turn to Revelation 3, verse 5. Blotted is a word that's not used many times, but it's used in the book of Revelation. Revelation what? 3. I'm trying to do this by memory, so I don't know if I remember, but I think it's 3, 5. It is. Look, 3 5. 
the angel speaking to the church of Sardis, which is the dead church. They need to wake up. Dead. You can read it later. 3.5, after he tells them to remember. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Why? Because the angels are coming. Threshing floor. His field. His harvest. Why do we need a kinsman redeemer? He doesn't want to blot out our name. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And what does he do? He comes down. He becomes human. He becomes a man. And he marries everybody that believes him. That he is God. That he paid for our sin. That he blotted out our slavery. That he's bought back the planet. And that he marries us. It's matrimony. We get rest. He becomes our rest. He becomes our Sabbath rest. It's all talking about being married. You cannot have rest unless you're married to God. You don't have a real marriage unless you're married to God. And you know what makes marriage work best when you're married on this planet? To the opposite sex. One man, one woman. Being married to God. If both spouses are married to God. Not unequally yoked. He doesn't want you going out to get a stranger back in Deuteronomy 25. Don't go outside the family. Find somebody you know is married to God. Well, how do I know? Well, you wait. You watch. You follow. You pray. You make sure they're bearing fruits that are real. Not tares, but fruits of wheat. You see their life. You judge their life. Because the Bible teaches us to judge. Inside the church, not outside the church. Judge those who call themselves a believer. In fact, Jesus said it himself. You can um, epigenosco. You can recognize a tree by its fruit. You can tell by what fruit it bears. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree bears good fruit. Cling to the good tree. It's the tree of life. But don't cling to a bad tree. It's a tree of death. Abhor it. Run from it. Obtain rescue from it. 25. I'm sorry. I get excited, guys. I'm sorry. This stuff blows me away. That it's in the Bible and it all lines up and it fits together. And you'd think God is wise or something, wouldn't you? And he knows what he's doing. You'd think, I mean, I would. You'd think we'd have faith in him and that we'd trust him. And we'd go, let's go take this world for Jesus. Because we're soldiers in the army of the living God. And what should we fear except God? Oh, I'm sorry. I digress. I'll breathe now. He doesn't want our names to be blotted out from the book of life. He doesn't want that to happen. See, I believe, and I, I, I can't prove this out completely, and maybe somebody else smarter than me or the Holy Spirit to give it to you, but I believe since God wills that all men should come to salvation, I believe that all men's names are written in the book of life because he died for all. And then when they choose themselves not to agree with God's will, he blots out their name. When they choose to be married to the world, when they choose to be married to somebody else, he blots out their name. 
See, because he started in the garden creating man in his image, and he hasn't ever stopped that. He knew that the interruption would come, but he also knew that he was always going to win and what he was going to do and when he was going to come in the fullness of time. He's never stopped that. The plan still is when you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit now is taking the blood of Christ and the will of God and conforming you into the image of God for the glory of God. It's never stopped. It's always been the same plan. Don't think that he had a plan B. He was always doing the same thing. Our book of Ruth started with the whole nation and moves down to a family. God started with a man, moved up to a nation, and moves back to what? A royal priesthood. We all become royal priesthoods. What do, we, what do you do in the royal priesthood? Well, I guess you follow the royal law, which is the law of love. And it should not be with hypocrisy, but we should abhor evil and cling to that which is good, which is God's, God's throne, God's I think it's God's feet. Let's watch. Oh, I didn't finish that, did I? Deuteronomy 25, verse 7. But if a man does not want to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to raise up a name to his brother in Israel. Those governed by God. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. He won't follow the law. He's sinning. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. But if he stands firm, he hardens his heart and won't do as God had asked him to do. I do not want to take her. Then his brother's wife shall come to him in the presence of the elders, remove his sandal from his foot, spit in his face, and answer and say, So shall it be done to the man who will not build up his brother's house, and his name shall be called in Israel, those governed by God, the house of him who has his sandal removed. It's his walk. Anytime you talk about his feet and his sandal, he's talking about his walk. He's refusing to obey God. And he gets, he gets spit in his face. Well, what's he doing? He's refusing to perpetuate the family of God and the inheritance of God and the authority of God. And so he's disgraced in the presence of God and in the presence of little God, because that's what God called him. He called him little G's, God's at the gate. They were the judges. In case anybody thinks you shouldn't judge in the church, they were the judges at the gate. God gave them the permission to do that in order to take care of all the other people who wouldn't obey God. And that's what he does. But we have to do it in love because somebody might come up and want us to redeem something and then we might get spit in our face. So we need to make sure we pay attention that we do it in a way that we remember that but for the grace of God, there go I. Not with haughtiness, not with pride, but in humility. So there's three basic ways that Christ becomes the kinsman redeemer like Boaz, and he follows the law. He does it with lands and properties, the title deed to the planet. You notice that? Matthew chapter 4, I think. Jesus baptized with the Spirit. The Spirit carries him away into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. Notice one of the temptations is is uh, um, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all of this. Because Jesus didn't argue with him about all of this. It all belonged to the devil at that time because it was pre-cross. It was pre-kinsman redeemer's blood being poured out to redeem the title deed. So it all belonged to the devil. Now he's the prince of the air. 
Right now he's out on bond and it hasn't been completely fulfilled until we get there. He's the kinsman redeemer and the earth is now still dying. We're still dying. The planet's still dying until it is fulfilled in that one twinkling of an eye that will start that seven year tribulation. We'll begin it. Oh my goodness. I can't take too much more here. They're winnowing the barley harvest. Did you guys know that? Do you guys know what the threshing floor is about? Do you know what the kinsman redeemer is about? Oh my goodness, I'm going to pop. Listen, listen. Early, remember we talked about it last week. It closed out, it was in the chapter. The early harvest is the feast of first fruits. The late harvest, say early harvest was like in end of May. Then 50 days later would be the late harvest in June and it would be the late harvest New Testament calls it Pentecost 50 is Pentecost so Jesus is the first fruits from the grave and it shows that there's an early harvest of resurrection of souls him first from the grave and then Pentecost when the church is birthed it shows that there's going to be a, another harvest of souls in the resurrection. They all are at the threshing floor. They're all with the kinsman redeemer. They're all tied up in his field for his glory. They're all tied up with crushing the grain to get the fruit out so that people will be nourished with the bread of life. I don't know how it all pans out. I don't understand it completely, but I'm telling you, it's all sewn together in the fabric of life and God spoke it into existence. And his word does not return void. But it will accomplish what it's purpose to do. You can trust him. You can trust him. He's your relative. He became a man. He became a human. So that he could become kin to us. And related to us. So that he could redeem us under the law. Because the law cursed us and showed us we were sinners. And he had to come and keep the law to redeem us. Nobody else had anything that could do that see you could go to all your kin hey can you redeem me all your kin none of them have a perfect life none of them have a perfect blood none of them have a sacrifice as the lamb of god but god himself said i i have anointed one i have appointed one i have called one i have come isn't that amazing anybody else i mean i we should be screaming that's amazing stuff Nobody else could redeem us because it took the price of blood and it had to be a perfect life lived of blood. Everything else was a type all through the Bible. My goodness, I didn't think we'd get anything accomplished here tonight. So, they're at the threshing floor. They're celebrating, singing songs, crushing the grain, throwing it in the air, blowing away the chafe. And he's their kinsman. They know where he's at. He's, at. he's right there at the threshing floor. And it's night. Verse 8, or excuse me, verse 3. Therefore. Oh my goodness. Therefore. What's that therefore? Because we know where he's at. 
because we, we've been in the field, because we know all this now, therefore, it's all there for, for this, strength in Christ. Look at this. Wash yourself. This is, this is Naomi still telling her what to do. Listen. Telling her what to do. Listen. Telling her what to do. Listen to me. Wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. This is what she does. Why? Because she's in mourning. She's wearing clothing of mourning. She's been working in a field. She is unclean. So what does she do? She has to rise up and wash herself, make herself presentable. And then she anoints herself with some oil, which is perfume, so that there's a fragrance to make her attractive, okay? To make her attractive. And then she puts on, and best is in italics, I believe she just puts on a garment, because she has a garment on. It could be an earthly tent. And then she goes down to the threshing floor. She goes down. Humbles herself. She's obeying what she's told. And she goes down to where he's at. He goes out into his work. Out to his threshing floor. But then she's told, do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. Listen, all that she just done was because of law. But when Christ said, it's finished, now the Holy Spirit does it for you and me. If we believe in his finished work on the cross, the blood of Jesus. Now the Holy Spirit does all of this. See, listen to me, listen to me. All we have to do is obey. Therefore, wash yourself. Well, how do I wash myself? She would take a bath. You and I, the Bible says, but when the kindness and the goodness of God, our Savior, appeared, not by works of righteousness, which you have done, but according to his mercy, he washed you by the renewing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. He washes and cleanses us by the Holy Spirit. God does it. It's Titus 3, 4, and 5. He does that work when you believe and go down and humble yourself at the threshing floor and say, here I am, Lord. And then what does he do? The Holy Spirit comes and lives in you and he anoints you. This is the oil and it becomes the fragrance of Christ to those who are living but it's the fragrance of death to those who are perishing. And he anoints us with the perfume as the bride. And people know it when they see you coming because you're not talking about football. You're talking about Jesus. You're not smelling like the world. You're smelling like Jesus because you've been anointed with the oil of Christ because now you're alive and you're obeying God because he's the redeemer and you're not. You put on your garment. What kind of a garment could it be? The best one because it's clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That's the garment that we put on. Not us. Christ does. And then we humble ourselves in his sight. And we go down and we begin to let him crush us and bring out the fruit. We begin to bring out the fruit. And when he does, listen, when he does, 
We're hidden. Our self is not known. We're telling people about the finished work of the cross. That we're not going out so people will see us. We don't make ourselves known. We're trying to make him known. Who can find a faithful witness that will make Christ known instead of themselves known? But notice this. He's finished. Notice the eating and the drinking. He's finished. Remember he ate that one last meal? I don't even know that he ate it, but they ate it. But he said, I'll not drink again until I see you in my kingdom. I'll not drink of the vine again until I see you in my kingdom. The eating that he wants to do with us is the spiritual bread of fellowship. Oh, this is some good stuff. I'm blown away it's even in here. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Where's he laying down at? Where's he resting at? What's he doing? Keep your eyes on him. Where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. Rest. That's, that's your rest. That's your marriage. And he will tell you what you should do. Because you get your marching orders from him once you're married to him. See the other parts? Preparation, preparation, preparations. Uncover his feet. We're back to the feet again. We're back to the sandals again. No, we're back to his walk. We're back to Romans chapter 10. How beautiful are the feet that bring glad tidings. We're going to go somewhere else. So go to Romans. You can look at Romans 10. I'm going to go to Isaiah where it's actually at. But Romans chapter 10 tells us in verse 15. Well, it tells us in 14, How shall they call on him to whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him? of whom they have not heard, and how shall they hear without a caruso, a preacher, one who heralds divine truth, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? He'll tell you what to do. He'll tell you where to go. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And it's actually Isaiah 52, 7. I believe it's also in Nahum. But uh, Isaiah 52, 7. Again, I believe it's talking about the restoration of Israel. I won't know until I get there. 52, yeah, it's when God redeems Jerusalem. And it begins in 52, 1 with awake, awake. We've got to come from the dead. Awake. Awake you who sleep, and Christ will give you light. And he talks about putting on garments on Zion. But in 7 it says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace. It's our verse for next week, by the way, people. Who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation or deliverance, who says to Zion, which is Jerusalem, it's the city of David, your God reigns. And then he begins to talk about the watchmen lifting up their voices. But listen, she uncovers his feet. Back in our text, Ruth 3, verse 4. She watched when he laid down, where he was resting at. She took notice of the place. 
and he lies and she goes in, uncovers his feet and lies down. And she rests there. She's humbling herself at his feet. She's worshiping. I want you to know that Naomi never told her to go do anything that was seductive, anything that was that was wrong, anything that would have even been sensual or sexual. She is staying at his feet. She's not under the blanket with him. She's looking at his walk. She's looking at his feet. She's looking at his sandals. Because this is about the kinsman redeemer. And she's saying, I want you to redeem me. And if he doesn't, then you take the sandal off and you spit in his face. See, so it's about his walk. It's about his love. It's about his life. He's already showed that he's interested because he gave her grain. He took care of her. He said, stay close to my men. Stay with my ladies. Don't go to anybody else's field. He's already called her. Now she has to choose him. And when she chooses him, it's by bowing down at his feet where he's at at the threshing floor and allowing him to do the rest of the work. And he has to, she has to wait for him to tell her what to do. And again, I say it all the time. The church is so busy doing stuff, they don't hear the voice of their kinsman redeemer telling them what to do because they think they're already doing it because they've listened to other voices in the church. It's your marriage, it's your matrimony, it's your relationship. Listen, it's not mine. But you're part of a body, so you get involved with the body. And God puts leaders in the body. But you make sure you're listening to God and you follow while you're following God. Paul would have never said, follow me even if I ain't following Christ. In fact, he said, if I or anyone comes to you with a different gospel, let them be anathema. Because even the devil comes as an angel of light. This stuff is amazing, people. That it's here in the text. She lies down and chooses him. What she's saying is, you be my redeemer. Wait till you see next week. There's a closer relative. I believe it's the law. And the closer relative can't keep, can't redeem her. Can't keep her in the family. It was never meant for that, so it can't do that. Wait till you see. Oh, we're in it. We're not, it might be 10 weeks before we get there. Never mind. Great, I'm going. But it's good stuff to me. Now, notice what she says in verse 5, and we'll close. In verse 6 and verse 7 and verse 8. Oh. And she said to her, All that you say to me, I will do. She commits. She has integrity. She already she commits to this. I'll do it. There's the instructions. I'll do it. If this is how it works, I'll do it. This was the law of the kinsman redeemer. Naomi was telling a foreigner how it worked in her land, and she was obeying. Listen, the Holy Spirit wants to tell us how it works in God's kingdom. And all we have to do is come and surrender and obey. And when we don't obey, we obey the other voice that says, confess it and agree with God, and he will wash you clean of that sin and continue in the work of sanctification. And let me just read on. So she went down, because we want to be doers and not hearers only, right? 
You can't just commit. Remember, under the law, what they do at Mount, at, 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 at Mount Sinai? We'll do it. We'll do it. Moses went up on the hill to get it in stone and get it in a contract. What did they do? They rose up and played. They didn't do it. She said, I will do it. Watch what she does. She said, okay. And she went down to the threshing floor where she knew Jesus or Boaz was at. In him was strength. Strength to what? To redeem under the law. He was the one appointed because he was the nearest kinsman. So in him is strength to do this. So she's going there and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, this is not got drunk, this is the act of drinking, and afterwards you have drunk. He didn't get drunk, but he was drinking probably some wine because he had a meal together here. And his heart was cheerful, a little joy going on. Don't you know that But for the joy that was set before him, he endured the shame, he despised the shame, but he went to the cross, and now he's set down at the right hand of God He's, he's seated on the throne. It was joy to God. It wasn't fun to get beaten and spit on and mocked and nailed to a tree. But he knew that on the other side, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. A bountiful harvest. And she came softly. Gentleness. That speaks of gentleness of love. Uncovered his feet and laid down. Actually, that's the place of marriage. She rested. It'll actually be consummated when he wakes up and says, that's why I wanted to get to there. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? She did as she was instructed. I can't go to the next text because, boy, it gets so much more going on. I don't understand something about verse 8. Okay, we're not in verse 8 in yet. But previous when, verses that she was lying there with him? No. How not? He was talking with her. Huh. He was not. Naomi's talking to her. Oh, yeah, that's right. And instructing right. Okay. her and telling uh, her. And she goes uh. down purposefully, and it's nighttime. And she goes down there because it's dark. Uh-huh. Or, excuse me, she goes up there. And you always go up, just like to Jerusalem. And notice it happened at midnight. You see that? Yeah. At midnight. That's that's that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet, and he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. She's at his feet, she's where the sandals at. Listen, it's midnight wings he took god took israel the whole nation under his wings and and carried him i love the the words that the holy spirit uses but and the man was startled now remember we have a real story here too this is we're getting some typologies in the picture of christ but there's a real story here when she comes in and and is at his feet he laid down and didn't know. He probably laid there for a minute. She's been watching. She comes and bows down at his feet and is there. And he wakes up and is startled because somebody's at his feet. He didn't, it wasn't there when he laid down. It wasn't there when he was, you know, at first. Turned himself. 
and there a woman was lying at his feet. And I believe those who choose their kinsman redeemer and say yes, because he called them, that that's where we spend our time, is at his feet, worshiping. But we also spend our time understanding that the beautiful feet take the gospel to others. Also understanding that when we look in the scriptures, we want to find Jesus and see what his feet were doing. Where was he going? How was he living? And that's our example that the Holy Spirit shows us of how we should be like Christ. Because the point is, is that God created us in his image. And when we cross the finish line, that's what we will be. Created in his image. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth. Notice it's, you know, oh my goodness. See, I didn't mean to keep going. And, and, and the Baptist asked the question. <laughs> I got confused. <laughs> no, you're fine. You're fine. It's easy to do. And especially with all the commentary that I give in it and bring in the types of it. Notice it's again, um, I am Ruth. Um, instead of when Moses asked, who shall I say sent me? He said, I am that I am. But she's saying, I am friend, friendship. Jesus makes us his friend. He's, we're not his servants anymore. We become his friends. And, and, and there's a friendship here that's going to that's gonna go on. So, um, but there's also a redeeming that's going to go on. And let me just ask you, though, who are you? Who are you? Do you know who you are in Christ, in his blood? Are you still living a life of death? Have you been redeemed? Who are you? Ruth knew who she was. She was a Moabitess. She was unclean. She had prepared herself to meet the kinsman redeemer. And again, this is why I didn't want to keep going. Because it's midnight. It's midnight. And I don't know you guys, uh, uh, but my brain goes straight to, bam, Matthew 25. And it's midnight. And we'll close really with this story. But I want you to see it. Because, see, we're supposed to be preparing ourselves, being prepared as a bride. And there is a story in Matthew 25, verse 1, about bridesmaids that are being prepared for the groom to come. Okay? And it's at midnight that the cry goes out that he is there. So she's bowing at his feet at midnight. It's important. It's in the text. It's not something that just somebody was telling a story and it's just like haphazard. The Holy Spirit is telling all of these stories. Then the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus speaking, the kinsman redeemer. The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. She went to the threshing floor to meet her bridegroom, her redeemer, her nearest relative. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. The fool has said in his heart, no God. She could have said, Naomi, I've been getting enough grain, gleaning fields. Why do I need to go down there and mess with that man? 
Why do I need to go down there and mess with him? We'll just keep taking care of ourselves. But she obeyed the law that led her to the Redeemer. That's what the law was for. It leads you to the Redeemer. It pointed out the fact you needed a Redeemer. The fool has said no to God. Don't say no to God. Be a wise bridemaid. Be a wise servant that comes and gets the oil and lets the Holy Spirit prepare you as a bride so that when the call goes out at midnight, you are ready. Your wick is trimmed. You're shining your light. You're already going to others and doing what you should be doing. Love without hypocrisy. You're abhorring evil and clinging to that which is good. Do you understand that you have to make a choice to abhor that which is evil in order to cling to that which is good? You have to be discerning and making judgments of who you're going to fellowship with. Judgments of what you're going to do, where you're going to go, how you're going to live, what you're going to read, what you're going to watch. That's how you know what is good and bad. But the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to teach you that as you bow at his feet. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Form of godliness but denies the power thereof. Because the oil is the Holy Spirit pointing to the blood of Jesus and handing out the spoils of heaven through the will of God. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, he's long-suffering, they slumbered and slept. Awake, awake from your sleep, and Christ will give you light. They're asleep. And at midnight a cry was heard. Notice, they're all asleep here at the threshing floor. She laid down and was sleeping at his feet. And, and, and at midnight he was startled awake and said, who's at my feet? Who's at his feet? That's the ones that's got oil. That's the ones that's going to go in. The others are going to get up and go look for oil. At midnight a cry was heard. What was that cry? the trump of God and then the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain will meet him in the air and thus will be with him always and we should encourage one another with these words that's it it's the shout of God and the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God we just learned about this in 2 Thessalonians behold the bridegroom is coming Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. That's the counsel he gives us in Revelations already to go buy. Don't think that you're okay right now. Humble yourself. Bow at his feet. And while they, were, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. Isn't that where we're having a wedding? Marriage? Rest? Matrimony? And the door was shut. That's a sad place that many will go. Because the gate is wide for destruction. And many follow it. 
Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. See, you should be at his feet, waiting for the redemption. Watching, working, and waiting. Listen, the important thing is not your declaration. Listen, i got to tell you this, because many people think it is. I say to them, do you know Jesus? And they go, I know Jesus. And then I always say, does he know you? Because he said here, I don't know you. See, there's a marriage relationship going on. There's a fellowship going on. There's some feet to bow down at. There's worship. There's a, an exchange going on where you are coming to know him and he's coming to know you. He lives in you and you live in him. And he does the work. You don't have to do anything but surrender and say yes. Who are you? How about, who am I? That's a good thing to say. Who am I that he would consider me? Who am I? Father, we give you praise. Thank you for being our uh, kinsman redeemer through the person of your son. Thank you for sending him. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.